Welcome to MS Matchup. Episode 1, Multiple Sclerosis. Is it one disease or many diseases? With Dr. Stephen Krieger and Dr. Bianca Weinstock-Gutmann. Dr. Krieger is Associate Professor of Neurology at the Icon Medical School at Mount Sinai in New York, New York. Dr. Weinstock-Gutmann is Professor of Neurology at the Jacobs School of Medicine and Biomedical Sciences in Buffalo, New York. Dr. Krieger asserts that MS is one disease state, but Dr. Weinstock-Gutmann argues that MS is many disease states. First, Dr. Weinstock-Gutmann. MS is an autoimmune disease with inflammatory and neurodegenerative components that affect the central nervous system, talking about brain, spinal cord, and optic nerves. I consider MS rather a multifaceted, heterogeneous disease with some different subtypes. There are clinical presentation differences as related to initial recurrent event location, severity of recovery, as well as different response to therapies. Primary differences are between relapsing, remitting, and primary progressive. Although the secondary progressive MS that usually follows the relapsing, remitting phase shares similarity with primary progressive. The exact cause of MS is unknown, considered multifactorial with significant interaction of multiple genetic and environmental factors. We have lar large families, pedigrees with MS, but also non-familiar, although clinical, not distinctive. There is a basic polygenic pattern determining the global MS risk, and this is the same for all disease courses and involves immune-mediated mechanism, but the development of progressive disease may be additionally promoted by genetic variants, as recently shown associated with neurodegeneration. One of these examples is a variant of gene involved in transcription regulation, NR1H3, which was only found to be associated with primary progressive, but not with other disease forms. This may not apply for all, but only for a subset of patients with primary progressive MS. Also, recent studies suggest that different genes may be associated with relapse risk versus speed of disability worsening. Studies evaluating immune-related genes identify gene variants, some common for relapsing and primary progressive MS versus controls, but also few genes distinguishing between primary progressive and relapsing remitting MS. We sure mentioned the myelocortical MS, described recently by Trapp and colleagues, as a subtype of MS. In these patients, focal demyelinated lesions were present only in the spinal cord and cerebral cortex, but not in the cerebral white matter. Compared with control MS brains, cortical neuronal loss was greater in myelocortical multiple sclerosis, suggesting an increased underlying neurodegenerative process versus the usual MS. This subtype was seen in a cohort of secondary progressive MS mostly, a few primary progressive. Uh, data on spinal fluid evaluation was limited, but the one available showed positive or events. I will also mention the atypical form, what we call in solitary progressive MS, with only one lesion after cervical, after brainstem, and positive or events, also presenting as primary progressive. Overall, the immunological and metabolic data suggest that there are quantitative differences in immunological and neurobiological markers profile between the relapsing progressive MS, which indicate that inflammation uh, is more pronounced in patients with relapsing disease, systemic and intratecal, while the neurodegenerative events are more severe in the progressive stage of the disease. Recent lipidomic studies in MS brain tissues identify significantly altered lipid profile in MS cases compared to controls, 
and that progressive disease, primary progressive and secondary progressive, can be differentiated on the basis of lipidome of the normal appearing Y matter. Metabolic pathways analysis revealed that the most added lipid pathways between primary progressive and secondary progressive MS with uh, glycerophospholipid metabolism, linoleic acid metabolism. Sure, larger studies should confirm these findings. Immunological data, studies that evaluated patient-derived immunoglobulins identified pathogenic demyelinating immunoglobulin responses in approximately third of patients only, and few of them had actually complement-dependent antibody characteristics that mediated axonal loss. This observation underlined the mechanistic heterogeneity of multiple sclerosis and provides a rational explanation why some patients benefit more from the antibody-depleting treatments. I will take shortly only the historical perspective when we initially lumped neuromyelitis optica spectrum disorder with more recently Mogris-associated diseases. After discovering the specific biomarkers, we were able to differentiate this neuroinflammatory disease with, from MS, uh, especially seeing the different clinical and therapeutic responses with benefit from the B-cell depleting therapies and often uh, worsening with interferon therapy. Interestingly, the neuro, uh, neuromyelitis optical intervention were most effective for NMO-positive aquaponin-4 and less for the subtypes negative for aquaponin-4. Despite ongoing efforts and continuous improvement in screening and validation methods, no MS-specific antibody has been established until today. While there is an indirect evidence for existence of specific and pathophysiological relevant autoantibodies in MS, the identification of such autoantibodies uh, has turned out to be more difficult. I think MS is a heterogeneous disease and simplifying MS as one fits all is not helpful. It's not able to provide a more specific prognosis and ensure more specific personalized therapeutic intervention. I think the future will bring us better biomarkers that will help to differentiate more specific subtypes of MS, better stratifying the patients, ensure more specific individual appropriate therapies. Well, uh, thank you, Dr. Weinstock-Gutman for that beautiful overview of the heterogeneity of multiple sclerosis. Um, I'm gonna use many of the same principles, but argue the opposite perspective, which is that we can more conceptually think of multiple sclerosis as one disease. One disease, as you said, with a great deal of heterogeneity to it, differences between how MS manifests in different patients, but yet falling under the rubric of a singular clinical manifestation framework that we all understand to be MS. Now, I would take a step back even and say, how do we define a disease as one thing? I think we have to have a recognizable clinical pattern. We need to have diagnostic criteria that work for being able to identify the disease and give a patient a diagnosis. And we need to have some degree of consistent pathology, immunology, and genetics that don't allow us to fundamentally parse into discrete subtypes, things that we can give a name to and consider differently. I think that all of the things that you mentioned will speak to the heterogeneity of multiple sclerosis, but they don't allow us in practice to divide it into individual uh, uh, smaller categories of disease. So 
let's take a step back. You mentioned the historical perspective. I'm also gonna add a little bit of a historical perspective here to say that uh, we have had subtypes of MS, the phenotype categories for 25 years now. These distinctions between relapsing, remitting, secondary progressive and primary progressive disease. But I would say that historically we are moving towards blurring the distinctions between those categories, unifying MS as one disease without rigid breaks between the different types. And I will appeal here to the experience of uh, being a practicing neurologist and seeing a patient before me. How sure am I that a patient has relapsing remitting MS full stop, no evidence of progression, nothing progressive happening below the surface? I would say I can't be sure of that. That patient I might say has relapsing remitting MS, but I don't know that the pathological drivers aren't also progressive. On the other end of the spectrum, we have a person who comes to you who's had MS for 30 years. She's significantly physically disabled. Perhaps she comes in uh, in a wheelchair or a motorized scooter. And sure, we think to ourselves, well, this is a patient with secondary progressive MS, for instance, but can we be certain that there's no inflammatory activity still happening for that patient? Can we be certain that they don't still have a relapsing form of the disease, that they won't still develop new lesions? No, I think we can't be certain of that either. And then similarly, let's say you take a history from a new patient and the whole story that she tells you is about how she's gradually developed worsening weakness in her leg, dragging her leg, difficulty walking. It's been evolving over years. You look at the MRI scan and she has lesions everywhere consistent with MS. And you think, well, this is clear and simple primary progressive multiple sclerosis. And then right at the end of the visit, you have your hand on the doorknob. And she says, you know, back when I was in college, I, I couldn't see clearly from one eye for a few weeks, but then it went away. And no one ever told me anything about that again. And now all of a sudden you realize that of course was optic neuritis that happened 30 years ago. And now you have to change your whole phenotype category from primary progressive to secondary progressive, if that was a relapse. And well, now she's changed category completely all because of a little thing that she happened to mention or not mention at the end of a visit. How can we think that those things are really fundamentally different diseases? I would say they are not. What I have proposed is something called the topographical model of multiple sclerosis, which blurs the distinctions between all these categories and says that all of MS, despite its variability, follows the same uh, clinical manifestation framework, a mixture of relapses and inflammatory activity and progression. Some patients have more of one, other patients have more of the other. And what speaks to this continuous spectrum of disease is the mixture of those two in a particular patient. What speaks to the differences in clinical symptoms are where do the lesions land in a particular person's case of multiple sclerosis? What is her topography of disease? If you're interested in this, I won't spend more time on it here in this debate, but you can look up the topographical model of MS. You can Google it, you can see it. That speaks to this unified concept of the disease. And I think we really fundamentally, even Despite many of the new science pieces that you mentioned, we can't in clinical practice distinguish primary progressive from secondary progressive from relapsing remitting. The MRI scans look the same. The spinal fluid looks the same. The diagnostic criteria, the McDonald criteria don't distinguish those different categories.
categories of MS. Someone has MS or they don't. Even our billing code is G35. There's only one category for multiple sclerosis. We don't even break it down in the way that we bill for our clinical thinking. So I would say, yes, there's a lot of interesting emerging science that will allow us to have biomarkers to help us personalize our decisions. But at the moment, the genetic variability predicts a tiny amount of the variance, not the overall clinical picture. And besides, we can't send any of those genetic tests in clinical practice, and they wouldn't tell us what to do for an individual patient, even if we could. My final point here in my opening comments is you mentioned MOG and NMO, and you're absolutely right. Those we have split off as different diseases, but they are a good example. There is, of course, a biomarker to distinguish them with the Acoporin-4 antibody or the MOG antibodies, but those are truly different disease states. They have different demographics. They have different clinical presentations. They have different MRI appearances. Their spinal fluid profile is different than multiple sclerosis. They are different in all levels. And now we have an antibody to show how they work. But one would never really conflate an NMO spectrum disorder case with a run-of-the-mill multiple sclerosis case, and the antibody just helps us to make that distinction. So until we have tests that can fundamentally be pathologically significant, clinically meaningful, and useful in clinical practice, I think it's most useful to think of MS as one disease and not to try to break it up into arbitrary categories. Are you enjoying this episode of MS Matchup? And please be sure to subscribe to this and other multiple sclerosis podcast series brought to you by the neurologyhub.com. Welcome back to MS Matchup, Episode 1, with Dr. Stephen Krieger and Dr. Bianca Weinstock Goodman discussing whether MS is one disease or many. Will they come to consensus or come to blows? What new issues will they uncover? Listen in and find out. So I will go back and. Uh... I agree with the consideration of simplifying MS in order to give a more specific diagnosis of MS, ruling out other uh, possible neuroinflammatory diseases, as we said. But I think what we have to really look for is the possibility to differentiate the type of MS. We know that you know it's becoming more and more kind of consider to use MS as a primary progressive disease, as all the cases, that we're going to the completely different, uh, you know, consideration instead to um, more specific define the type based on the clinical imaging feature and give a more specific prognosis. You cannot, you know, give the same prognosis of a patient coming early on with a very minimal uh, um, limitation, very few lesion load to put the same thing on a patient that comes first time with more lesions, very active disease and call them, you know, you have MS. People are going around and checking it out. What is MS? If everything is equal, everything is same, even for patients, it's very difficult to understand. Think about even on the benign MS. We do have 17, 19, 20%, whatever the, epidemiological data is showing, they do have benign MS. Why is this, you know, we have clearly genetic uh, influences, we have 
um, the so-called um, phenomenon of epitope spreading that is different. There are different initial antigens that we we do, don't have a clear cut indeed uh, biological marker, but we do have different type of antigens, autoantigens finding different patients. We have patients with uh, what we found uh, anoptamine 2 that is very much similar with uh, EBV, the EBNA1 antibodies. We have the channelopathies. So the first, there are differences. We don't have one antigen for uh, autoantigen for everyone. But we have, I think, to look for identifying specifics, meaning different type of the disease that eventually will stratify better MS patients, will be able to find more appropriate therapies. I don't say that we are there, but we have to strive to go for it and not to say that is meaning, maybe we can start with MS, but we have to feel indi indicate further that we do have subtypes, we do learn more now, and we can eventually identify based on the initial you know, um, evaluation, clinical MRI, maybe markers, spinal fluid, even the number of oligoclonal bands to identify what will be next. And I, so think I think this is important. I think what you're talking about is extremely important, but I would characterize that as looking for ways of personalizing our care and identifying an individual patient's likely disease course, risk factors for prognosis, and ultimately what type of treatment would be best for that patient at that time. But I don't necessarily think that that means we're gonna break MS into distinct subtypes, named diseases that are going to allow us to sort of cluster people together in a way that will be practically useful. I mean, as an example, uh, we're living in a post-COVID world now, and so we're talking a lot about the new variant strains of COVID-19. I don't think there's going to be an MS version B117 that's going to be fundamentally distinct from the variants that we are used to that we can name and put a sort of a box around it. I don't think we're going to have interferon-responsive MS or B-cell treatment-responsive MS as particular disease states. I think what instead we'll have is the ability to personalize our decisions based on, as you said, findings that we can use in practice. The appearance on the MRI, pattern of symptoms, perhaps certain uh, findings on uh, CSF or, or even blood biomarkers. But blood biomarkers have been remarkably unuseful to us in multiple sclerosis because it's all happening on the other side of the blood-brain barrier and it's been largely inaccessible to us through blood tests. So I think in some ways we're talking about the same thing. MS is not a monolith. It's a heterogeneous disease in symptom and severity, but I don't know that I've heard yet ways that we could break it down into subtypes that would truly be different diseases. I absolutely agree. I just said from the beginning, I don't think there are multiple diseases. I think it's a heterogeneous disease. I think we still have to differentiate between the primary progressive versus the relapsing disease. I think that, and that is primarily because we do have treatment and at this time we eventually can differentiate between the treatments. As, well, let's, let me ask you this. About the COVID, eventually I really more looking towards also the treatments that we're starting to back up from the very 
all fits all the B cell therapy now that considered the most effective at this time and not or whatever dalentuzumab because the COVID concerns. So we're not, we're backing up because this, because we are concerned not to use one fits all for everything. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think where I struggle is, is with the distinction between even the phenotypes that we have now, primary, progressive, and relapsing, remitting. I, I don't think that we have pathological distinctions that really divide the disease even in that way. I, I think those phenotypes are very useful from the perspective of having a group of patients that we could study in a clinical trial, for instance, relapsing, remitting in a study of a medicine designed to prevent relapses, as opposed to in primary progressive, where we group those patients together in a study of an agent designed to prevent disability, irrespective of relapses. But I think there's so much heterogeneity there. I mean, we, we of course used to have another phenotype called progressive relapsing MS, started yeah. out as primary progressive and then had a relapse. Well, it's not that that went away. It, people still have primary progressive MS and have new lesions. And sometimes those new lesions cause relapses. Um, and we know that preventing those relapses is helpful even for those patients who have progressive disease. Last year in practical neurology, you and I debated in a written form whether the categories that we have used from the FDA for approvals are really a step forward or a step backwards. I argue that they're kind of a step away from the ground truth. The ground truth is that there's such a spectrum of disease here that I don't think we can neatly divide it up. Uh, I'm still not sure I believe that primary progressive and relapsing remitting are truly different diseases. I think they're part of a spectrum of MS. I agree with the spectrum of MS, but I still hope and thinking that within short time, we'll have better markers to differentiate between different disease states, typing, staging, we may not call different subtypes of MS, but classifying specific group of patients that eventually will respond better to more, um, you know, uh, anti-inflammatory therapies versus maybe more neuroprotective, or maybe we'll go with both of them in the same time as we're trying to figure out. So I think that the clinical part and going back to help ourselves in the clinic is very important. But I think in the same time, identifying more specifics, even on the clinical background, we can eventually further you know, succeed to obtain maybe, you know, help. There are a lot of, of, of now uh, new platforms they're trying to develop and, um, you know, looking for samples however, to try well characterized with MRI, with um, blood, eventually spinal fluid to identify this, uh, you know, different, um, I'm sort of subtypes, different, a groups of MS patients that fits all, and maybe we can figure out a more specific, as you said, personalized therapy for this patient. So uh, I think that uh, the differentiating between primary progressive, secondary progressive, relapsing remedy helped out a lot actually now in the studies. And it may not be perfectly on the clinical background, but this how we got medication working. 25 years ago, 30 years ago, when I was there in the beginning, we didn't have anything. 
and every patient went in the study within this different, you know, disease state or disease form. So we didn't have anything available at that time. So I think that some subtypes, some types better kind of organize, um, you know, calling patients in a different way, characterizing them helps us, even if there are maybe too, um, uh, you know, uh, artificial, it may help us again for the, at least for the research to identify group of patient responding and after then going further to, uh, to see and uh, if there are other groups of patient responding to therapy. I, I really think so because, you know, going towards putting one fits all really, it's not only on research important. I think it's also for our clinical practice. I'm towards will be there. I think we are on the, you know, the direction to be able to do this. Maybe it's more difficult. I think that the specific animal spectrum disorder now again, positive or negative for alcoholic four makes again the difference, right? And interestingly, I was looking on the genetics. It was a study looking for um, on the genetics, you know, some studies showing that there are completely different between MS and, and NMO, but a uh, recent study looking for HLA-related differences between NMO and MS, actually, they didn't see difference in Caucasian. The only difference that they found really on the HLA-related were in uh, Brazil or um, uh, Far East Asia, where actually they may have even lower usual genetic um, correlates of MS itself. So I think that besides the um, specific biomarkers or genetics for MS in general, the ethnicity the, um, could be uh, and racist could make a huge difference too. So I think that there are much more to learn there. And I think that um, the future will bring us the possibility to make much more specific uh, characterization of, of MS. Smaller group in a step up basis. <laughs> yeah, I would just come back to the idea that NMO and NMO spectrum disorder is really very distinct from traditional multiple sclerosis, not just based on the antibody, but based on the way the disease pathogenesis works with the long cord lesions, the severe relapses, the severe optic neuritis, and the absence of progression. It's a very interesting point about NMO. It's a more severe relapsing disease, but it doesn't fit into the clinical manifestation framework that MS does, where there's an interplay of relapses and progression across this spectrum. So I really do think that NMO is a great example of what is a different disease. And I'm not sure that we've yet come up with drivers on a biological basis that could subdivide multiple sclerosis, except for perhaps some of the outliers. So I believe Dr. Weinstock-Gutman, you mentioned myelocortical MS, which is this very specific new kind of outlier subtype, if you will, of multiple sclerosis. I think it probably fits into the overall framework of MS as we understand it. I don't think it's a different disease. But for instance, I think the way a disease gets divided into new subsets is by chipping away at the outliers, chipping away at the ones that don't follow the paradigm of the, the disease and seeing if one can identify a biological driver for it 
And I think that's what NMO and MOG associated diseases have done over the past 10 years. Perhaps we'll be able to do something like that for MS in the next 10 years. I think what we agree on is trying to personalize how we look at the disease and, uh, and that I think we'll better be able to do. I agree with the cheap one thing that we go slowly, slowly to end. But you know what on this that anymore, it's not a progressive disease. I am not on this. And there are many other people pushing towards learning more. When we have patients well controlled on the disease, may not have relapses anymore. I have patients more than 15, 20 years followed with different medication soups and so on. They do progress. They do have atrophy of this. But that, I think, will actually help us to look over what is the progression seen and related to it uh, in NMO versus the progression seen in, seen in secondary progressive and primary progressive. I think they are different. And really, you, if you follow for long-term patients that were not maybe very perfectly treated at the beginning, but treated after and maintained on disease-modifying therapy, you see that they are progressing. Is this because you know the aging, the, the, um, the neurodegenerative process that is on? You see, you know, spinal cord atrophy going on and so on, and you do see patients who are actually progressing. So I'm sorry to say so, but it will happen ten years. Usually, everything I'm saying is ten years later supported. So I still have, you know, uh, but I think that we can learn. We can learn what is eventually the progression related in NMO versus the progression related in MS. Thanks for listening to this episode of MS Matchup. Be sure to visit the neurologyhub.com for our next episode, should the EDSS rating scale be revised or replaced. MS Matchup is brought to you by the editors of the Neurology Hub and Practical Neurology.